Good afternoon. Welcome to the first edition of an essentialized moment of time, the focus issue. My name is Karen Wright Chisholm, and I will be your facilitator doing this series of videos to encourage the mind to enhance the body and to hopefully enlighten the souls of females near and far. If you saw my video post a few days ago, what I talked about mainly was in these times of this pandemic virus, we know that domestic violence is on the rise. I spoke about my experience with domestic violence in a situation that happened to me almost 27 years ago, where I found myself married with children in a very abusive relationship by my ex-husband. It took me four and a half years to decide that that was not the kind of living arrangement that I wanted for myself or even for my children. It took, um, I guess it took years and years of struggling, trying to be true to the vow that I took when I married this man to love and sickness and in health until death do us part. And it was, it took me a while to realize and understand that the sickness that he was experiencing as a, an abuser and the sickness that he, um, how do I want to put it, that he infringed upon me was not what God had intended for this relationship to endure. I kept staying in this situation because being raised up in the church and seeing my parents and my grandparents living as husband and wives, and sometimes those situations weren't always um, love and affection. Sometimes there was abuse, um, living and growing up in a community where my peers and my community, the children in the community, it seems like all the houses were experiencing some type of domestic dispute that we didn't realize at the time that it was domestic violence, really. We, we saw things happening in the community that we, as children, we thought it was Friday Night Live. Or we thought it was just, you know, the daddies and the husbands would work all week and come home on Fridays and 
they would celebrate because I guess they figured they had worked hard all week and Friday was the day for them to just let things go, um, indulge in alcohol, play cards, do whatever it is, was they did on Friday evenings and just get intoxicated and would come home and whatever, for whatever reason, took it out on the spouses. Um, I, I remember so vividly um, many nights that we would sit on the porch after, you know, starting getting dark and we, you know, we, I had a, a big family, so we was always outside and always doing things. And sometimes we would be asleep and we would hear the sirens coming through the street and before we knew it, we realized that somebody across the street had had a fight and the husband was beating the wife or the wife was beating the husband. And it resulted in an injury where the EMS had to come and, and, patch, and patch him up. And boy, we thought that was the, the highlight of our weekend. Um, and every seems like every weekend it was a different family situation um not saying that it didn't happen in my family because lord knows it did a lot of times we may not have gotten to the point where blood was shed but we knew that we would hear some arguing uh some fighting that you know we didn't we 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 hid we hid from, from others because we, we thought that um, it was normal <laughs> for things like that to happen in the family. And because we saw it so much in the community, in our homes, um, you know, every home wasn't perfect. Um, we just thought that that was a normalcy because we thought it was okay that that mommy and daddy got into an argument and they fuss and sometimes they fight. But then when it was all over, they were in love again. At least that's what we thought. So when we experienced those kind of situations growing up, we think that it's normal. So when I found myself as an adult, getting involved in relationships, um, and the first time that, um, my husband at the time, um, put his hands on me, I was like, whoa, I was like totally in shock. And I, you know, I found myself, you know, really trying to protect my face and myself from him because um he was a little abbreviated intoxicated and i'm like just let me get away just let me get away from him once he comes down off of this he'll be okay and we knew that it would be oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to do it to you it won't happen again how many times did i hear it wouldn't happen again. 
I found myself in situations where I would end up in an argument for whatever reason. Um, sometimes it wasn't even anything that I did. Um, he would come home in a rage or he would just pick a fight about something that because he wanted to the fight. <laughs> and I would um, try to just calm him down, calm him down in hopes that he would, you know, fall asleep finally. And once he fell asleep, I knew that it was over because once he woke up the next morning, he was fine. I'm not sure what it was that caused him to feel like he had to drink or and or whatever he was doing at the time. Um, it took me years to realize that it was not only alcohol that influenced him, but drugs. Um, it's just so amazing that, you know, we go through these things and, you know, we don't think that there was anything wrong with that. So. Long story short, roll fast, fast forward, about four years later, um, I'm finding myself continuously, like every day, every day, if it wasn't one thing, if it wasn't an argument, it was a fight, if it wasn't a fight, he was taking, removing things from my home to support the habits that he had, that he needed. He would sell things, he would try to um, take, I would work and he would demand my paycheck when I got home and, you know, make it like, you know, give it to me, you know, you don't give it to me. And then that was a fight. So I give in and then he would go and do whatever it was he did to, to meet his needs and then come back and want to fall asleep or sometimes continue to fight. I kept praying to God that um, please just let him go to sleep because I didn't want to have to deal with what he was bringing home. I, I almost dreaded Friday evenings <laughs> because I knew that that would be a time where he would start to act out. The amazing thing about this is that I never really told this story. Um, the details and depths of it, I don't think that um, when I was experiencing it, not a lot of my family members knew about it. I think, you know, when it got to a point, a certain point in my life where I was close in proximity with my brothers that they started to know some of what was going on because whenever he would come home and be intoxicated and high or whatever he was and try and start a fight. I would grab my kids and I would flee to my brother's house that lived a few blocks around the corner. I started getting to the point that these instances were more than I could bear. Um, if it wasn't my brother's house, it was my cousin's house and find ourselves not sleeping in the house at night because I'm afraid for them. 
and not knowing how he was going to come home and how he would act and praying that he would not take it out on the children and hurt the children. So I felt the need to protect them from their own father. So I would take some of the breath of what he was dishing out just to protect them. Fast forward, um, I don't know what it was that, you know, we had lived in so many different places because it seemed like every time we lived in a neighborhood, got used to the neighborhood, things would happen and I'd find myself moving or he would take so much out of me that we didn't have the money to pay the rent or whatever and we'd be forced to move to another location. So went on for a while. I'm like, wow, if this is normal, you know, and just like I said, I didn't think anything any different because this was what I had experienced so much in my childhood that there was always a family fighting. But the one thing about it is I never saw them split. It was those those wives were there and staying there years after years, years after years. I never saw them at the point where they were separating until my dad decided that. I remember, I, I guess I was in about 13 years old, I guess it was. And I do remember vaguely that after a while, you know, my dad wasn't coming back home all the time, <laughs> that he was not coming home. <laughs> and so um, nobody ever sat down and talked to us about the fact that he had left and situated another life. So, okay, I'm 13 years old in the eighth grade. And um, I do remember vaguely, you know, it, it's just so ironic that these, those thoughts are recollections of my childhood for some reason are not present in the forethought. I don't know if it's something that I blocked doubt because I really did not want to remember it. But I do remember one evening, um, and I just like I said, I think I was in about the eighth grade and my dad and my mom and my sister, one of my sisters and my three brothers were the only ones still left at home. And he came into the dining room and he says, sat us at the table. Uh, those are the only ones I remember. It could have been the rest of my sisters may have been there, but I just don't really remember who. I do remember the five of us being there. And he says that um, he was going to be moving out and anyone, if we wanted to go with him, we could go with him. Uh, we wanted to stay with my mom, we could stay with my mom. So fast forward, 
all five of us decided that we were going to stay with mom. And so that's where we were. And then the next thing I remember is that he was married and <laughs> he was no longer coming home. So I look at my, into my adulthood when I got to that point where I saw things happening and I'm like, you know, always taught in church and always remember and, and, and hearing things or reading stuff that um, people just didn't get divorced. <laughs> they just didn't stop being married for any reason. You know, they, I saw these families going to living together through fights, through brawls, through, through um, sickness, through health, and they never divorced. And I'm like, so what happened here? <laughs> but anyway, I, I was like, just really kind of, I guess I must have been really abused at that point to not understanding that marriage um, was supposed to be uh, a, a unity of two people that become one. Those are the vows that we take. And we stand before God and it says in sickness and in health until death do us part. And so growing up in the church, I was afraid not to abide by what the word said. So I felt like I had to do whatever it took for me to keep this relationship in solemnity of a marriage as long as I could. And Lord knows I tried. It took me um, four and a half years, I guess, of daily just abuse of some type or outright verbal abuse, physical abuse, um, just intimidation, um, moving because of something crazy that he did and not taking care of a bill, <laughs> not taking care of the house, or just abusing things that were not helping us as a family. So um, I'll never forget the day. It was August 1st, 1981. I um, laid awake in bed after I had already just gotten up to take him to work down the street. Came back, lay back down in the bed. And I must have felt falling back to sleep. And all of a sudden, something came across my spirit. And I said, it was God. It was God because he spoke to me and he said, this is your day. You got to get out of there. Get out of there. And I remember, um, whew. 
I remember um, picking up the telephone and calling my brothers and telling them, I'm gonna need you guys to come and help me move. I um, called the U-Haul truck and person that, um, the landlord that I had, I called him. And I explained the situation to him that I was needing to terminate the, um, the contract and, and move. Um, he was very understanding. So took care of that, called the electric company, the water company, the phone company, and everyone, and um, made sure that all the services were terminated. And it was about, maybe about 8.30 in the morning when I started doing that. And I knew that he was going to be getting off work at three o'clock. So I had little time to do what I needed to do because I knew that if I didn't do it while he wasn't there, that he was not going to allow me to leave him alive. So I felt that I, within the hours that I had before he was scheduled to get off work, I had to pack up, move a house, and get out of there before he came home. Uh, my sister-in-law was living in Charleston at the time. And um, she came and she helped me. She lived around, they lived around the corner. She came along with my, with my two younger brothers and we packed up a house full of furniture and we were there about 30 minutes, I think it was, before it was time for him to get off. And all I could remember is that I just walked through this empty house and I went into the bedroom and I left in the closet his clothes and you know, whatever it is he had that belonged to him, I left in the house. I made one more phone call and I called his sister and I said to her, um, Somebody needs to be available to pick your brother up when he gets off work because um, he's not gonna have any place to go. And I just left it at that. And as I walked away um, from that house, I felt 
uh, release of whew, almost five years of mental anguish that um, I didn't really know I had. So fast forward, once he got home and realized that we weren't there, he started to call. So I knew that if I answered the phone, he was going to talk me into returning and coming back. And Lord, I could, I, I just couldn't do that. It was just something in my spirit that, you know, because so many times before I had left, every time he'd call and he'd talk and say, I'm sorry, I'd go back. But it was just something about this time that I knew that there was no going back. So I headed down to uh, my mom's house and my sister was there. She hadn't married yet and was still in the house and um, went there and explained to her what was going on and my children and I stayed there um, about the next day. I could hear him at the front door demanding that I come out and my sister forcefully <laughs> telling him that she doesn't want to see you, so go away. He came back every day for two weeks. And every day for two weeks, she told him the same thing. She doesn't want to see you. Leave. Finally, I guess, after not talking to him or having any contact with him for the two weeks, I, um, he left. So that was the beginning of the rest of my life. August, I guess around first, August 1st, 1981, was the first day of the rest of my life. And chapter two of my life that I decided that I was not going to deal with um, that type of violence in my life ever again. So um, we divorced and It took me nine and a half years <laughs> before I would even consider or think about dating someone else or marrying someone else. I had sworn at that point that I was not ever going to get married again. But I guess... God had another plan for my life. So today I find myself 
happily married. Um, July of this year will be 30 years. Um, and to a man that, that I met when I was in the coming out of probably the one of the worst times of my life. But that just goes to prove to me that every all men are not alike. Um, whatever I don't ever um, try to judge him for what he did to me. Um, I never said anything negative to my children about him. And maybe that was a mistake <laughs> because um, I believe now that, especially when you have daughters, that you have to be um, transparent with them about things and relationships because just like I thought that it was normal for the for families or husband and wives to fight and boyfriends and girlfriends to fight because that's what I saw growing up that I needed to have that conversation with my daughters but I never did and so um, it took me almost 27 years to tell a story about my domestic violence in the home. And it was my hope and my prayer that um, that story would help somebody um, to heal. Um, you know, we grew up thinking that we couldn't tell stories like that because we are ashamed that people will look at us differently. But I found out that whenever I started telling my story, there was always somebody else that said, your story is my story. But we gotta have the courage, the confidence, to be able to tell it. Um, not only does it help me to heal, but it helps others to heal. And so, you know, I, I think about this story, that song that says, you don't know my story. <laughs> Say, you don't know the things that God has brought me through. But if you did, <laughs> you would give him praise and glory and honor for all the things that he does. Because my story, as in depth as it is, may not be your story specifically, but each of us has a story. And that's what this centralized moment in time 
says to us that the focus is you. So it's really time. This is the time that I believe that each of us needs to just dig deep in our hearts and our minds and just kind of relinquish or release those things that have kept us prisoners in our own lives for so many years because of fear, because of embarrassment, because of shame, uh, because of what we think people would think about us or say about us. God has um, laid it upon my heart that it doesn't matter how bad the situation was or what anybody else thinks about you. You, um, we have to each just search our hearts, search our minds, get closer to God to understand that God knows everything. And sometimes I heard a pastor say a couple of days ago, it's not that God allows things to happen. It's the fact that sometimes we make decisions to do things and we do them. And before God even realizes what we have done is already done. So God tries to bring us back to that point, to where we were or where we need to be before we sometimes make these crazy decisions that does not do us any good. And I don't know if I said that right, but we have to understand that um, God gives us discernment of fear. He gives us the discernment to make the right decisions about things. And sometimes we just let our, our, I don't want to say our heart <laughs> speak for us or uh, our heart make decisions for us that are not all the time the right decision. Maybe, maybe it's not our heart. Maybe it's our mind or I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I know that um, over these past few weeks, um, I've had an opportunity to just really sit in silence and meditate on the word. And it helps me to understand better 
some of the things that I may have heard or was taught in church school and in church or even just in my home. But until I had the opportunity to actually dwell in silence on a daily basis and get into the word of what it means. And even not even in silence, if I'm listening to some teachings of some pastors and some of the things that I'm learning and understanding about God that I thought I knew, but not really grasping it to that point where It's a different perspective if that's what it is, but I'm just, I'm not sure. And I, I'm thinking maybe that um, because I've allowed myself to release and just be still for some time in some moments that God is speaking to me and using me to speak to you that if you are feeling like you're stuck in a place where you don't want to be, stuck in a place where you don't want to be, that you don't have to be there, that you just pray to God, ask him for guidance, ask him for strength, that the victory will be yours. I just can't really put my hand on what it is that's driving me to, to do this or to say this, but I attribute it to God speaking to me in hopes that whatever, I just thank God that he's putting into my mind, into my spirit, that I need to tell this story to hopefully help somebody else to heal. If you running away from something that it doesn't look like there's an end to it. You're not going to ever get out of it until you just release it, turn it over to God, ask him to give you the guidance, the strength to do what it is you need to do to get out of that relationship. Maybe it's not to separate. Maybe it's for each of you to get counseling. Maybe it's that you need to talk to somebody Try to get some kind of guidance, but don't allow this torture to continue day after day after day, because I am convinced that I know in my heart that if I did not decide on August 1st, 1981, that I needed to leave that situation, I would not be alive today 
to be telling you this story because I know in my heart that if I had just kept going back, going back, that he was going to kill me. So I thank God for waking me up that morning and festering in my mind that this is your day. And so in a centralized moment in time, this centralized moment in time is a pandemic called COVID-19 that has caused everyone to sit down, think about what is happening. And as I said, a centralized moment in time during this pandemic, the focus is you. It's you. It's me. <laughs> we have to focus on us. On us. The focus is you. So take the time. Take the time. Listen to God. Read the word. Hear the word. <laughs> and continue to do what thus says the Lord. Because when it's all over and all said and done, God has promised us a home in his kingdom where Job declared that the wicked shall cease from troubling and our tired and weary souls will forever be at rest. This we ask in the mighty in the master's name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.